I'm reading Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. If you can find this in your pew Bibles on page 1160. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's skirmish. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of the evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm, then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with the feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can exclude all the foaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of spirit, which is the word of the God, and pray in the spirit of on all occasions with the kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the saints. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Miles. Okay. We okay? I got to tell you, whenever I have preached on this passage, stuff happens with the microphone. I don't know. That's <laughs> seriously. I love our stained glass windows, but as much as I love our stained glass windows, I'm really enjoying the sunlight, just the daylight coming in here. That's, that's sort of nice. So enjoy it while we have it, because once the stained glass windows are reinserted, it won't be as bright. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Gracious God, we thank you for the power of your word. It, it addresses our lives, all the different aspects of our lives. And we pray now, God, that as we think through, reflect on this word that we've heard, would you, through your Holy Spirit's power, just apply it deeply to our lives. Do it gently, God, because it's a difficult passage. But do it deeply. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So two weeks ago, we began looking at this reality called spiritual warfare, Last week we took a break because we had a guest pastor, preacher in. But we're in Ephesians and we're wrapping up this whole long walk through the book of Ephesians. And Paul ends Ephesians with this sobering but worldview expanding uh, ending to his letter as he talks about the, the forces of evil, the powers, the principalities that are at play in our world. Now, for many of us, um, 
mostly for, for us in the West, this, this can be a little unsettling or can be a little unusual for us to talk about this idea. And we, we really do need to realize that in most places in the earth, uh, in the world, uh, in Asia, in Africa, in Latin America, this, this is the framework by which people have made sense of the experiences of reality. Um, this is the worldview of the Bible. And as we saw two weeks ago, unless we recognize this dimension of life, we're never going to be able to explain some of the intractability of some of those great griefs that we regularly lament, like racism and crime and sexism and greed and genocides and nationalism. It holds great explanatory power that this category of evil and the reality of a personal agent of evil, the devil and demons. I'm not going to cover all that again, sort of that worldview piece. We looked at that two weeks ago. If you missed it, give it a listen. It's on our website or it's on iTunes. Um, but today we're going to work with the assumption there's a battle going on in this world and in our lives. So the question is, how do we engage that struggle? How do we engage that battle? Paul says our struggle, in this passage he said, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. No, we engage, we enter this battle, and it is against powers and principalities and against the devil's schemes. Resist the devil's schemes, Paul says. The word for devil's schemes is methodia. We get our word method for it, and it means strategies. The devil has a whole arsenal of tactics to undo your joy, your faith, your life. But here's the thing. Most of the time, you won't identify it as a battle. You won't think this is a battle going on. That in itself is one of the, the devil's schemes in itself, that it stay unnoticed by most of us for most of the time. Most of the time, what happens is in this battle, what happens is it feels like we hit a wall. It feels like we hit a limit of some sort. Do you ever have that situation? Maybe a job, maybe in your life somewhere, but no matter how hard you try, no matter how many resources you pour into it, no matter how much sweat you give, how much effort, it seems like you just can't progress past a certain point in your life or some part of your life. Maybe you go to counseling, maybe you get courses, you're, you spend hours talking about it with friends or learning from books, but no matter how hard you work at this, it just feels like it makes no difference. You're not getting any further. You keep spinning your wheels, covering the same territory, never progressing any further. It happens in relationships. You know, someone has an anger problem and, and, and it, they're just not able to get over some threshold. No matter how many anger management courses they might take, it's like nothing brings lasting help. They're just trigger happy for a rage at times. Happens in parenting as you raise your kids. How many parents find ourselves saying things, doing things, acting in ways that are just so unhelpful for our children or for our relationship, and yet it's like we cannot but do that. It's like, I can't help but do that. I don't know why. Um, even though it's not helpful, it seems like I can't get rid of that behavior in my life. Or in our relationship with God, we try to live our life, the life Jesus offers. And sometimes it feels like, oh, we're stuck. Like our, we're walking through muck or something. And Jesus promised, 
In the Gospel of John, John chapter 10, he said, I have come so that you might have life and have it to the full. I love that little qualifier, have it to the full. Not just sort of half. No, full life. But is that what you're experiencing? So often it feels like something is blocking the way to that experience. Why is this happening? Why do we feel like we're hitting the same walls? Well, in that passage from John as well, where Jesus is revealing himself as this source of life, as the good shepherd who will feed and guide and lead us into this sort of life, he contrasts himself with an opposing force, the enemy. He says there is a thief. And the thief's agenda is to steal, to kill, to destroy the life that I offered to you. To steal that joy, to destroy that life. The enemy is, is a vandal of everything good. And when we find ourselves stuck, what we're often running up against is the reality of this battle. We're experiencing some of the schemes of the enemy to destroy and to kill that life that Jesus offers to us. And so we're not going to experience the full life of Jesus uh, unless we become aware of this reality. Now, I want to give you an image, uh, just a clear picture in your imaginations for what this is like, for how the schemes of the devil keep us stuck. And I need someone here with a belt. Tim, can you help me out? I did talk to Tim earlier. Often, can you tuck the back of your shirt in? Sure. Thanks. I have this bungee cord. The schemes of the devil function like this. Can you turn around? Sorry. <laughs> He's got a belt here. When we become Christians, or even prior to that, our enemy will sort of hook us with these schemes. And they, if, if you're not making any progress in your life with Jesus, you're not feeling any tension, right? If, if your life is sort of stalled, yeah, you're not noticing anything, take a couple steps forward. Are you feeling the tension there? Yeah, you, all of a sudden you feel the tension. Now, if you keep going, there's a limit to what he is going to, he cannot go any further, right? You just, thank you, Tim. I didn't break your belt. <laughs> the schemes of the enemy are very much like this. They, they prevent us from moving forward, from advancing in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And... Um, so all these schemes, these strategies are different hooks that our enemy places upon us that prevent and inhibit any sort of progress, that, that thwart the life of Christ in you. But here's the thing. We never see them. We don't recognize. Uh, we're mostly unaware of the schemes of the devil. Mostly... It's because we've had our imagination shaped by Hollywood. Hollywood gets us to think of encounters with evil in pretty sensational terms, right? So unless your head is spinning 360 degrees, or unless you're sacrificing goats in your backyard, or unless you know, you're vomiting some green spew, it's that, that, that's the Hollywood picture of an encounter with evil. Um, and those, there are obvious schemes of the devil that Scripture does talk about, like the occult, like demon possession, like exorcism. That's not where I want to focus our attention today. Because there are far more prevalent schemes of the devil that we experience that are hidden, that are mostly unnoticed by us. They're subtle. And they're often not named or realized as part of the battle that's going on. One of the things the Bible tells us again and again about our enemy, the devil, is that he's a deceiver. 
that he's one who disguises himself as an angel of light. And so in 2 Corinthians 2, it says, do not be unaware of the devil's schemes. Paul's saying, listen, we've got a crafty enemy. He hides, he dodges. So let's become aware of his schemes because they are crafty, they are subtle. They're so subtle that you might not even recognize that they're happening to you when you're under the influence of them. So subtle, you won't know it's the devil. Because here's the thing, for evil to do its worst, evil needs to look attractive. Evil needs to look good. So what are these schemes? The rest of the time, we're going to just unpack some of these. But before we do that, I, I really just need to underscore and highlight again and remind us that this language of spiritual warfare does not unhook us from personal responsibility. God has given us free will, free agency. Um, and so we, we talk about, use the language of spiritual warfare to describe our vulnerability, but not to diminish human responsibility. That's an important thing for us. So what are these schemes of the devil? What are these hooks that are attached to us. The primary strategy of the devil is singular. The primary one. There's, there's others, but the, the biggest one, biggest strategy of the devil is a singular thing, but his tactics are many. So we're going to look at this primary scheme of the devil, two ways that it happens, and then the variety of tactics in each that the devil uses. We can summarize the primary strategy of the devil as this, deception. Deception or lies. The scheme of the devil is related to his name. The Greek word for devil is diabolos. And we get our word diabolical from that. And the verbal form of that is to lie or to slander. And we need to understand this very character of our enemy. Because the main way the devil works and operates is through deception and lies. Jesus addressed that reality about the devil in John 8 where he says he was a murderer from the beginning not holding to the truth for there is no truth in him and when he lies he speaks his native language for he's a liar and the father of lies so the primary strategy of the devil is is lies deception subterfuge and again and again in the scriptures you you, you see that the real power of evil is the injection of the lie Deception And deceit travels on two different paths, two different ways. There's two ways we experience this lie. First, we get deceived about sin, and then we get deceived about salvation and about God. Those are the two primary paths of deception. We're deceived about our own sin. Let's look at that first. And that happens in many different ways. First, the devil blinds us to sin in our own lives. It's amazing how many Christians I talk to who are surprised by sin in their life. Where did that come from? Psychologist M. Scott Peck wrote a fascinating book about evil, and he chose an apt title. He called it People of the Lie. And Peck, he, he worked with convicted criminals. He, he would visit jails. He, he, he's a psychologist, and he would work with them. But interestingly, he said, I rarely found evil there in the prisons. The influence of evil, he finally concluded, is not primarily indicated by sinful acts. He says, rather, it is the refusal to accept a real sense of one's own sinfulness. Quote, he says this, the central defect of evil is not the sin, but the refusal to acknowledge it. 
the refusal to see it in your own self. And doesn't this make so much sense of then how Jesus would respond to people? Because Jesus would, would be so harsh with what we might consider to be morally upright religious people, the Pharisees. But he just blasted them. And yet he was very tender, very soft, very compassionate with tax collectors and prostitutes. Why? Because Jesus saw lurking behind, underneath the veneer of piety and morality this evil, this unacknowledged sin, whereas in the prostitutes and tax collectors, it was just out there. They knew it. They knew they were sinners and broken. There is a blindness to sin in oneself, which our enemy does, works. But the devil's scheme is to blind us to our own sin, to think of us as good and them as bad, which is really another form of that blinding deceit. Another scheme of the devil is to get us to compare our sin to that of others, to minimize our own sin and make others worse. Ever have that going on in your mind? Okay, you know, sure, I got a few things going on in my life. Absolutely, you got me. I got issues, but you got to see my neighbor, okay? Or my roommate, talk to them about the issues they have, all right? Or the colleague at work, my boss at work. <gasps> You would not believe. The devil tempts us to find at some point of comparison someone, some group, who we feel is obviously missing the mark and we take pride in convincing ourselves that, oh, we're not like them. And church, you got to know, this, this is the church person's kryptonite. Because remember the parable that Jesus told about the sinner, the publican, who comes and prays and is just repentant and says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And the religious person, the good church-going person, comes and says, God, thank you that I am not like these others. Oh, that's a frightening parable. We blunt our own conscience and we judge others for the very things going on inside of us. And that sort of moralistic comparison always leads you to judgmentalism. And if you feel that lump in your heart, boy, that's a sign of some scheme of the devil at work blinding you to your own sin. And then another scheme, another tactic of this, of this scheme to blind us to our own sin is to portray sin... To, to sort of repaint sin as something good, or at least not that bad. Here's how it goes. You say, I'm not greedy. I mean, I, I've just been really working hard, and I sort of deserve these things. Or I'm not filled with fear. I, I'm prudent. I'm wise. I'm not gossiping. I'm just really concerned. <laughs> I'm not inordinately raging. I'm just prophetic. <laughs> I'm not a workaholic. I'm dedicated. What we're doing is taking something sinful and really twisting it and distorting it and portraying it as something good. The, the, the enemy continues to do that. One last scheme of the devil regarding blinding us to our own sin um, is how the devil hides the effect of sin. The devil presents the bait, and it looks so good, but he hides the hook in it. One of the best examples of this is in J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, who pictures this so well, because at the center of the story is a ring, and it's a ring of power, and it's so appealing because by it, everyone thinks, 
I can guide events and guide them to good things. Everyone wants that ring of power because they believe they'll do good for it, but they are so unaware of how it ensnares them. And it is just an echo of the Garden of Eden and when the serpent comes and offers freedom and power and control and autonomy, but it's a lie. Offers the bait, but the hook is there that enslaves. Evil rarely looks evil until it accomplishes its goal. It gains entry into our lives by looking attractive or innocuous or desirable or perfectly legitimate. And again and again, we take the bait and we never see the hook. So the devil, the deceiver, the liar about sin. And secondly, the devil deceives us about God and the salvation that God offers, the gospel. And this happens in a number of different ways. There's a number of different tactics. Um, It happens, for instance, to non-Christians. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4 says the Apostle Paul in there is writing to the church and he says, the God of this age, the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. So the devil's at work blinding people to the goodness of God, to the beauty of the gospel. So it looks silly or outdated or irrelevant. Now, there's many reasons why people do not believe the gospel. And for some, there's really important intellectual questions that need to be addressed, that need to be responded to. And Knox here, you know, we as a church really want to be a church where all those questions that people have are treated honestly and handled respectfully and intelligently. And if you've got those questions, I would love to talk to you about them. But alongside of that, can we also name the reality that oftentimes... It could be the devil keeping people in a place of blindness. You might have heard about Martin Scorsese's latest film. It's called Silence. And it's a very, very fine film about Portuguese missionaries who traveled to Japan and in Japan, how they have profound faith struggles. But what was fascinating that in the preparation for this film, something happened in the lives of one of the actors, Andrew Garfield. Played a number of different roles. I think Spider-Man, a few other roles. He played one of the priests in the film. And to do that, he studied, he worked with a number of Christian priests. But as he trained for the role, something happened. He said in an interview, he said, and I love this, what was really easy was falling in love with Jesus Christ. I love this. He says that was the most surprising thing. That the most remarkable thing, falling in love, and how easy it was to fall in love with Jesus. But then he talked about how prior to that, it was like there was a blindness in how the truth of Jesus had been obscured to him. And then he says this, he says, quote, I felt so bad for Jesus and angry on his behalf when I finally did meet him because everyone had given him such a bad name. He was blinded to the beauty and the truth. So many people kept him or some cultural soundtrack that he was listening to kept him from seeing the beauty of Jesus Christ because behind it, the devil is lying about Jesus, keeping people in their blindness. And I know maybe there there are some people here today who are not Christian, who have questions. And as I said, I'm happy to talk to you about those questions, but can I ask you one more thing? Can you be open to the possibility that perhaps your questions and your doubts are less about your need for intellectually satisfying answers and more about a power that may be blinding you? 
with all of your skepticism, could it be that it's actually a product of something other than your own mind? And so let me urge you today, if that's you, let me urge you as an act of freedom, as an act of openness to the truth, could you doubt your doubts today? Another way the devil blinds us to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to the goodness of salvation, is in an area of unforgiveness. When we get hurt by other people, there's a moment where our enemy lays down some schemes, some hooks to hold us back. When we get hurt by others, it's easy to justify unforgiveness. And we can be so blind to that reality of an unforgiving spirit in us. In another part of the Bible, in Hebrews 12, it says, make sure to live in peace with everyone. See to it that no bitter root springs up and causes trouble so that many will be defiled by it. The image of unforgiveness is like that of a root. And a root grows where? Under the ground, unseen, hidden. No one sees it. The devil blinds us to unforgiveness and to bitterness that is just snaking through the soil of our hearts. We see flashes of it with the anger that we feel to those who have hurt us. But that distorts us. If you can't forgive your parents, it's going to distort your attitudes towards authority. It's going to affect your ability to relate to your own children. If you can't forgive a person who hurt you in an emotional relationship, someone who broke up with you, it's going to distort how you relate to the persons of opposite sex for many relationships after that. It not only distorts you, it not only ties you to the past, but unforgiveness places you in a dangerous place because you're blind to the gospel of grace that is offered to you. When we fail to forgive, when we refuse to forgive another, we're denying the gospel. How could it be any other way? Jesus has forgiven us so much, and if we are to hold that back, that is a denial of the very gospel we're offered. And finally, one last way the devil deceives is through accusation. Accusation is really a form of deception by distraction. Because the enemy, what he does is focuses all our attention on our sin so that we miss sight of our Savior. We no longer see our Savior. All, we're totally focused in on the self. I, I'm amazed, I mean, when I listen to my own heart, but I, as I talk to many others, of how profoundly affected we are by the thoughts that, that crush us, that cripple us. And most of the time, they're going under the radar, unnoticed. It's like there's a soundtrack playing, and it's, it's the background noise of our life, but we mostly don't notice it. I don't know about you, but I'm sort of sensitive to background noise. Whenever I go to a restaurant, um, the background soundtrack that the restaurant plays can either make it or break it for me. Oftentimes when I'm hanging out with friends at a restaurant, I'll ask, so what song are they playing right now? And everyone's like, are you kidding? What? Are they playing music? I just sort of pick up that background noise. So many of us have a, have a similar soundtrack playing in our lives, but it's a, this soundtrack of, of self-talk. And it's self-talk filled with untruths about God, about yourself, and about the salvation that God gives to us. And mostly we don't notice it. We're, to change the metaphor, blind to it. We don't hear it. We're deaf to it. 
But it's affecting us deeply and profoundly. That self-talk is like this bungee cord that is holding us back, that influences us. The devil's able to do it, influenced by suggestion. Have you ever stopped to, to just pay attention, maybe even inventory, the soundtrack of self-talk that's going on in your head? Do that this week, okay? Let me venture a guess. It goes something like this. I'm not lovable. Nobody could ever love me. You call yourself a Christian? If you were a real Christian, would you have those thoughts or desires? You are such a waste. You will never amount to anything. Who do you think you are? You are such a poser, such a hypocrite. You are so ugly. No one would ever want you. How could God ever forgive you for what you've done? You can't really trust God. You'll never get free from this. Recognize any of those? Those are thoughts filled with condemnation, and they are so not God. The Holy Spirit, the presence of the Spirit, convicts absolutely of sin, does not condemn. Our minds get filled with this focus on our own sin, and we lose sight of the Savior. It's almost like for every one thought of our own sin, we need multiple looks, multiple thoughts of how great the grace and beauty of Jesus Christ is. See, here's the truth. The devil's playing you. He's playing me. And we got to see this. The devil is playing us, and as Scripture says, he seeks to devour us. So how do we fight these schemes of the devil? Not much time today. Next week, we're going to spend the whole time on looking at the armor of God. But real quickly, how do we do this? First, know what are the particular devices Satan uses on you. Not all are applicable to you. No, which, which ones you're most susceptible to? Do you know what schemes of the enemy you're susceptible to? For home churches, what we've, we're going to put together is a summary of a great tool from a pastor from the 1600s. His name is Thomas Brooks, and he wrote a book called Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. And in it, he outlines all these different devices, tactics, um, that Satan uses to undermine our faith. And we're going to update that, and we'll have that as part of the home church study uh, this week. And uh, so that's a really important way, just to name, how, how is it that I'm susceptible? What are those devices? But secondly, um, there's simply this. Go to Jesus. Go to the gospel. Savor your Savior. Savor the salvation that he has done for you. Because listen to what the gospel says about Jesus. Jesus has destroyed the work of the devil. He has disarmed the powers and authorities. He has overcome death and brought life. He has taken our judgment and our penalty and brought reconciliation with God. He has become sin so that we might be made right. He has crucified the power of the flesh so that now we are free to obey God. This is our Savior. So take your stand in the power and the person of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words of truth. We pray, God, forgive us for making the mistake our culture so often does in terms of underestimating the power of evil, ignoring the reality of the devil. 
And God, we know it's not just the devil. Uh, There's evil in us. That's the flesh. There's evil around us. That's the world outside of us. But we recognize that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but there's a battle of all these things, the flesh, the world, the devil. Teach us, God, how to discern those particular ways the devices of the devil are used against us. But thank you that Jesus has disarmed those powers and principalities. Thank you that through his death on the cross, we stand in his victory and in his power. And so today, Father, we want to align ourselves once again with you. And so we renounce all the ways that we have given our lives to the devil, all the ways that we have created a foothold for the devil in our lives. We renounce the devil and all his duplicity and all his deceitfulness, all the schemes and strategies, and we turn fully to you, Jesus. Would you show us your way, show us your truth, show us your life so that we may know life to the full. In your mighty name we pray, amen.